Welcome back to Inclusive and Online with Kate and Dan. I'm Kate. And I'm Dan. In this episode, we'll be talking with Christina Moore from Oakland University's Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning to discuss how you can incorporate accessible audio content into your online courses. It never really occurred to me how audio content can be a valuable tool in the classroom, at least not until I started looking into digital accessibility. I agree. When I think of digital learning content, I typically imagine a lot of reading, sometimes paired with images or videos. That said, when I think about ways that I've learned in the past, I realize that I have a long history of using resources such as podcasts to enhance my own learning, especially when it comes to topics outside my primary field of study. I've always been more old school with my approach. I find relevant articles or books and oftentimes videos to feed me information. So audio wasn't a very relied upon tool, not because it wasn't around, obviously, but because I fell into familiar habits. I don't think that's uncommon. Even in my own history with podcasts, I didn't tend to think about it as education, but more so as entertainment. It's only looking back now that I've realized that much of what I was consuming has added to my understanding of various topics, and I still apply a lot of the information I've gained in my day-to-day life. Well, clearly I've come around to the idea of educating others via audio format, and when I think about it more, aren't in-person lectures a form of audio learning? There may be a slide to look at, but much of what we do in the classroom hinges on a quality auditory experience. So with that in mind, it makes sense to look into ways to supplement the learning environment with accessible audio content. So let's welcome Dr. Christina Moore to our podcast. Christina, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what piqued your interest in this topic to start us off? Yes. Hello, Kate and Dan and everyone listening in. Um, So I am homegrown proudly at Oakland University. I got all of my degrees here, which was a master's in English and a PhD in educational leadership. I taught writing in the writing and rhetoric department for about six, seven years. Um, And then concurrently, I started working at the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning, where I got to really focus on teaching and learning development on campus, mostly for faculty, but also for anyone who's involved in the teaching and learning environment. I started to read a book by Tom Tobin and Kirsten Bailing called Reach Everyone, Teach Everyone, Universal Design for Learning in Higher Education. And one of their chapters was called Meet the Mobile Learners. And that was sort of the jaw-dropping moment for me because... I tend not to really be drawn to being on my phone any more than I have to, but they made a really convincing argument that if we are not paying attention to the learning that students could be doing on their phones over a long period of time, connecting their more intense study sessions, then we're really missing out and we're kind of not doing our full jobs as educators, which are not the words they said, I don't think, but it's, it's what I interpreted. So I was thinking it started off small, started writing small pieces, and I just finished a manuscript for the book, Mobile Mindful Teaching and Learning. And one of the sections in that book is about audio learning because It's one of the best tools or affordances that's offered through mobile learning is that we're listening through audio. Um, It's something we can easily take on the go. So I've talked with a variety of faculty over the years, different subjects, 
uh, for example. And some believe that writing is the best way to express learned knowledge. But I wonder if it's the most inclusive approach to learning. Now, we discussed Blackboard Ally, a digital accessibility tool that's available in OU's version of Moodle back in Episode 3. And one of the features that I like about it is that it can automatically provide an audio version of certain content, like PDF files, which have traditionally been one of the big accessibility issues uh, across disciplines. So what are your thoughts on a perceived over-reliance on text-based learning content and the written word as a primary means of assessment? So let me start off by saying that, generally speaking, the written word is very accessible. It works for a lot of people, especially referring back to your earlier comment about higher ed's history of relying on lecture a lot for teaching. Written content provided more access so that people weren't just relying on on what they hear. Um, And obviously, I have a little bit of a bias um, towards the written word as an English master's graduate myself. I think that it's a very important way for us to express ourselves and share our ideas. But the problem comes in when, as you're saying, because I've heard the same thing, Dan, the idea that the written word is really the ultimate goal. It's like this highest form of intelligence. That's where we, we start to get into some tricky territory as far as accessibility and some other um, unnecessary or untrue hierarchies as far, as far as intelligence and knowledge and understanding. So that's something that I have been wrestling with. And going back to Universal Design for Learning or UDL, um, we really want to think of not only one way or the best way, but how we can provide opening doors to different types of expression, as long as it makes sense for the learning activity and the learning outcomes. So for example, I have taught writing and specifically I taught academic writing and research. So there were certain activities where like writing was the outcome, following these conventions and things like that. So looking at that, we're clearly going to need to do some writing. But on the other hand, there were there was a reflection activity that I would do at the end of the semester where it was more about students really analyzing their own learning and transferring it. So I looked at that activity and I said, that doesn't necessarily require the written word. So that was an example where I looked at the outcome and said, told the students, we've been writing academic all year or all semester. So if you want to instead do a video or audio or some other form of expression that meets these learning outcomes, feel free to do so. And like, that was just a great choice for them and for me. And it was just amazing at how students who really felt a little stifled by the academic writing genre really came alive and showed a depth of understanding by just give, being given the freedom to explain things. Yeah. And, and those are all really good points. Um, and I think we want to get a little bit more specific with our next question. And what are some examples of effective uses of audio content that you've seen faculty use or used yourself in your online courses? 
So as in most things, I, I like to start simple because for how interested I am generally in how technology and online learning opens access, I think the simpler we can keep it, the, um, the more accessible it is for faculty and for students. So what I tend to do whenever I'm, let's say, creating a video is I automatically ask myself, can this also be produced as an audio file? I might try to plan it ahead so that someone can listen to it and still get most everything out of the, the content even if they don't have that visual element. But that's something that I start to ask myself and any faculty members I work with. And another discipline-specific example I think of is um, Dr. Linda Polly-Droulard in nursing. Um, She produces narrated PowerPoints, and she automatically always offers an audio version of those. And that's just, it's a couple of clicks And the students have this other option. And she said that that has been very well received because nurses tend to be on the go and she tends to be working with practicing nurses. And then one other example that um, I think of quite recently is that a faculty member in writing rhetoric named Lori Ostergaard recently reported some work she did for our office And she took her asynchronous online course and recognized that there is way too much written text in that course, which tends to happen with asynchronous online courses, lots of written messages, lots of written discussions. So she took the challenge to give students more audio feedback and encourage students to give audio feedback for one another. And she found that anecdotally through their um, end of semester surveys to find that they experienced more community building than she normally um, gets rated and receives at the end of each semester. So I've done something similar in my class where we've used a tool, where I've used a tool we talked about in episode two called Poodle. Uh, I use it for a discussion Uh, forum posts and responses, and students can decide for themselves if they want to type a response or submit an audio or video response, and I'll respond to them in the same way that they chose to use. So I like it because it's built right into Moodle. It's very easy to use. Have you used Poodle or something similar to create audio content? Yeah, and I I agree. I am always a proponent of using the tools that are right there and available Students don't need to download anything, sign up for any accounts. So I always start with Poodle and things like that. Um, I believe, so the the faculty member I just referred to, Lori Ostergaard, I believe she encouraged students to use Poodle because I think beyond providing peer review feedback um, in the discussion forums, she would invite people to do the to use the audio and video options for providing feedback to one another. I find, and this is less on a tool note and more on like an instructional design learning culture note, but there are some challenges to just automatically opening the option because we tend to go to our defaults, which is, I'm just going to write this. I'm going to type it out, even if we have something to gain. So faculty members are sort of grappling with that, if there should be a couple of things that require audio so people 
get used to it, and then they can maybe decide later on if they want to continue. Sure. I see audio being a great option to add descriptions to complex images such as charts, graphs, and tables, which is a basic accessibility standard. I also think it's a great way to provide descriptions of paintings and you know, really you know, many art forms in general. So what are some of the creative ways you've seen audio used in addition to the examples that you've given uh, to create accessible learning content? Dan, we've both been to the Accessible Learning Conference at Michigan State University. It's a great conference. Absolutely great conference. And the keynote at that conference made a very intentional choice to describe whatever visual content she had on her slides, which is probably a practice that has been going on for a long time. But she would show screenshots from social media. So these are things that I think sighted people would automatically assume that you don't have to read out, but she really made sure she took the time to do it. And I think as I've started to pay attention to this practice more, at first I was thinking, oh, this would just take way too much time to do. But I think if you do it intentionally and you provide shorter brief descriptions, I realize, okay, if if you're in a large room and people can't see it, this is greatly appreciated. If you don't have sight at all, of course it is appreciated. So, of course, once you start paying attention to the accessibility practice and use, you start to see its larger um, impact. No, it's interesting when you say the extra time that goes into it. And I'm sure that there was a similar feeling when faculty started using PowerPoint more lectures, the extra time that was invested into that. Now it's seen as, as common practice. Yeah, exactly. So it's, and actually it makes you be selective and more concise with what you put on your slides too. A couple of good examples I've seen that do require a little bit um, more time is that I've seen educator Michael Wesch, who has a lot of um, YouTube videos on online learning, Um, One of the practices that he implemented was reading to students, which I saw that because he said he would provide all of the course learning materials um, and read through them all basically as MP3 files. And I was a little bit wondering about the copyright standards there, but not worrying about that. Um, It made me also think that sometimes having faculty themselves read you know, certain elements, whether it's it's feedback or portions of their own work that they do have copyright over or allowing students to read aloud their own work, the things that students would have copyright over. Because if we're thinking about writing, that can also be a good way to test out your voice and your ideas and whether they're flowing in the written format as well. Um, And then just the last thing I would add is in doing research for my book, I started to learn more about companies and people who are doing intentional audio lessons and courses, which are different from podcasts, which are, you know, more, we have a topic, you can tune in and out each week, whereas audio lessons are really very intentionally structured. They're meant to build on one another. So I think if, if we started, if faculty started to really get into what we can achieve with audio and start recording their own things for learning purposes an audio lesson, Um, could be a good way to go. And there's a short article that I could share with you all from one of these companies that provides 
kind of some tips on how those are structured. Yeah, that would be great. We'd love to put that in our show notes for our listeners as well. We do want to kind of go back to the idea of PowerPoint a little bit. Uh, Many faculty use resources like PowerPoint with voiceover narration, as we've mentioned, to create content for their online courses. And we really wanted to get a student's perspective on this. So we decided to ask our production assistant, Kayla, about what her experiences with audio content in her online classes has been. So Kayla's here on the line. Kayla, do you want to chime in about your experiences with audio in your classes? Yeah, so overall, I have found the addition of audio content in my classes to definitely like enhance my learning experience, but I do learn best through hearing, so when there isn't any audio content incorporated, I do struggle, but I do also find it counterproductive when instructors do not use um, any software that allows for closed captions And then as well as when they just read slide from slide rather than actually adding anything new to the material that they have already provided. Yeah, that's a really good point, especially with just kind of reading off what's on the slide, um, because that can contribute to really students disengaging. There's got to be kind of that balance of there's audio content and there's something that's engaging on the slide rather than just having those same two things. Yeah, and I've seen presentations as well where it's a style where you only use pictures and that picture is to jar your memory to get you to say the scripted part of the the part of the presentation that you want to, which also isn't terribly accessible. And I think Christina made a a great point of, you know, a little bit of intention goes a long way in potentially describing those images to the crowd who uh, may not be cited uh, attendees. So Christina, what suggestions do you have for people who want to create audio narration to go along with course presentations? So I would start with thinking about the intention for audio, especially when it comes to the creation aspect, because that's when we're starting, you know, it's going to start to be more work for the faculty members. So why do you want to include audio? What does it provide the students and you and what do you want them to get out of it? And I think that that question helped choose the right element of the course that would really benefit from this extra audio element. Some of the other suggestions I provide would go for things like videos too, like keeping your content evergreen, meaning that it can be used from semester to semester. So maybe thinking about the concepts that students struggle with or that haven't been engaging in their original form and putting it into this format that students can listen to over and over again and that you can use from semester to semester because maybe it's a core content or it's a core concept that you use in multiple courses And some advice that I have heard from podcasters themselves in teaching and learning in higher education um, also really encourage exploring existing content first before um, creating your own audio, just to see if it has been done and then if you can complement it in some way. But of course, it's really empowering if you go out there and you see there isn't anything out there or that what's out there is very wrong in some way, in your opinion. And that can give you the motivation and the wisdom on how to get the most out of what you do. I would also recommend working with 
who's ever on your campus, whether it's like an academic technologist or instructional designer who may be able to help you plan out, maybe go through some of these questions of what your intention is, and then they can point you to the tools and maybe even have the equipment just so you save yourself some time with the logistical technical aspects and you focus on what you ultimately provide, which is the content and the connection to students. Um, and then the, the other thing that I was thinking of throughout the course of writing my book is to make sure that we are building in active listening prompts, just as we don't want students to kind of passively read and just let the words wash over their eyeballs. Um, it's really easy with audio content to just sort of sit back and let your brain absorb whatever it wants to quite randomly. So especially if you're creating audio, this is where you have a lot more power to um, provide active listening prompts and, and prompt people to pause, to review, to connect to other concepts. And that's where it really starts to track for this intentional learning rather than just being sort of educational uh, entertainment type of content. And so since I originally came to you with this question, since you are actually doing the nitty gritty work of creating audio, I'm wondering what you might have to add to this question. Well, it was certainly overcoming a little bit of fear and just taking the dive and start recording. I've been fortunate that I've got some good audio gear because I do play music and I like to have stuff for recording. So I was fortunate to have that and was able to, I think, help Kate along to find some good equipment there as well. But you don't need a whole bunch of fancy gear to get started. Your uh, headphones, like your AirPods or whatever, usually come with a microphone. And you can use that in a free program like Audacity or GarageBand if you have a Mac. It's not... Uh, too difficult to get started because you don't need a lot of high-end equipment. You probably already have the equipment that you need to get started at home already. People have even been known to get started with creating audio content directly on a smartphone and mm. being able to upload that content to their, you know, their computer, do their edits and, and release that content pretty simply. Yeah. And one of the other thing that that makes me think of with using your phone I mean, not that this is restricted to phone, but having a guest speaker to class and maybe instead doing an interview on the side that sort of has that podcasty feel, it, that could be a good option because that could be something that continues to be a permanent resource and that students can read and that feels a little bit more like dialogue, which I think is one of the benefits of audio and you're hearing different voices interact with one another. So I think that that could be a good place to start too, just to see, you know, how does this work? Do I like it? Do I want to continue with creating my own more intentional lessons or where would I want to go from here? And back to your point about not needing extra equipment. I mean, what's so nice about the extra affordances many of us have to video conferencing is that you can often just record and then download as an mp3 so it can be more than just the super polished lesson but i think guest speakers is a good additional place to start yep, just you know we use zoom as well to record and uh, from that we can pull transcripts we can pull individual audio files so it's a it is a great tool to get started you could use zoom so 
kind of backtracking a bit here, I believe there is a shift going on on how people learn, and many people rely on mobile devices to access course content, including taking quizzes or posting to forums. I've I've even graded assignments from my phone. So as the shift to multiple modalities moves forward, how can audio help faculty and students achieve their teaching and learning goals? So it's funny thinking about multiple modalities and audio and and thinking about phones and new ways of learning because we're kind of returning to an older way of learning, which, you know, before we, we learned through reading and written word, we learned through telling each other stories and listening to lectures. But what I think is different now is that it's just so much easier to access audio we written word used to be more accessible because we it was just easier to pass that word along, whereas audio wasn't. But now that we do have smartphones, it's easier for us to listen to audio and to, as Kate mentioned, to record audio on the spot as well, whether it's just our own thoughts or an interview with someone. Um, or something like that. So I think we're even getting into an interesting phase where after um, a lot of attention on instructional videos and video content, um, we're starting to have a a good critical moment of saying, does it have to be a video? Um, Because video is a lot more to produce and it's What we produce doesn't always require the visual input. We're not always demonstrating something visually. So we're coming across a a good moment of saying, does it have to be a video? Or instead, could we do something that's simply an audio file, which I'm hearing more and more of. And I think it's because of podcast culture and just how much easier it is to create and share your own audio content. Um, but as you know, generally with multiple modalities and audio is a part of this, what I think mobile learning affords is that we can be coming into contact with our learning goal and the associated material more frequently. And even if those are in shorter spans, this allows us to think more deeply over time rather than just cramming in this, these two hours that we have, and then we don't think about it again. I think that there is great power in allowing our brains to connect the dots you know, more frequently because we're coming into contact with that learning concept. And that's specifically available by offering our learning in more modalities because learners can do it whenever they want to. So I think some those are some of the more important affordances that we have now that we can have learning in more formats and in more modes. So as you've mentioned, you're currently writing a book. You care to tell our listeners more about what you discuss in the book and is there an estimated release date? The book will likely come out in early 2023, possibly a tiny bit before that, but we'll still say early 2023. So my approach to the book is to say, okay, mobile learning has been around. It's been really hard for it to gain traction. How can we take what we know is great potential with mobile learning and give ourselves an easy way to get started and just start to explore the possibilities of where mobile learning can fit in with a little bit of work or maybe not any work at all, and then we can add from there. 
So I call it mobile mindful because it's, it's not taking our whole concept of learning and formal education and making everything fit into a small screen, but it's saying, where can we at least be mindful of how this is already accessed on the phone? Yeah. And I, I think that your book will be a great resource for folks who are just getting started with that. So we'll be keeping an eye out for its release. Let's move into our tech tools segment for this episode. And I know you've brought some suggestions of your own, but let's start with one of our favorites, otter.ai. Well, we do feel that standalone content can be a great modality to present learning materials in an accessible way. I do want to note that it's important that every piece of audio needs a corresponding transcript posted along with it. Tools such as otter.ai can be helpful in generating transcripts and captions for your audio content. Christina, what has your experience been like using otter.ai and similar tools? Early in the COVID-19 pandemic, one of the conferences I was supposed to go to shifted to online. And so I wanted something that was really easy to be self-paced. And actually, I have been gravitating towards narrated slides more than videos, just because they're easier to control in some ways. I wanted to use Google Slides just for ease of sharing. I knew that I wanted to have the audio, but also have the transcript as well, in case people just wanted to glance through. So this is where otter.ai was really useful because I recorded my audio and had that transcribing. And it was just super easy to then copy over into the notes section of the um, Google slide of each Google slide. But additionally, again, my tools are very simple at this point. Um, I think just being aware of the live transcription options that we have available is a good habit to be in every time you are watching a slide presentation or really anytime you're in a Zoom meeting, asking either turning on live transcription or asking the host to do it. The more we normalize this and build into our habits, the wider that spreads and the more accessible it is. Um, Google Meet and Google Slides have a live transcription option as well. So being aware of that, prompting people where it is and turning it on. And I know that these these features are available for live PowerPoint presentations as well. So thinking about the live transcription in addition to the saved transcriptions is helpful too. My favorite transcription tool is actually Yuja, um, which is a software that OU, that Oakland folks have specifically. Um, I find that its transcriptions are a little more accurate than YouTube and Zoom and just easier to work with. So that's been one of my favorite tools. And then for my own mobile learning, which I've been taking some of the mobile learning challenges that I promote in the book, um, doing more voice-to-text note-taking Especially when I am reading offline, reading print books, I can take longer notes and use my phone in that way. And then I still have the written text version. So even using some of those very simple audio tools can go a long way for at least starting with a transcript. We also wanted to talk a little bit about Poodle, which we mentioned earlier in this episode, as well as in our name pronunciation episode. 
Moodle is a recording tool that's built directly into Moodle, and faculty can use it to provide audio feedback on assignments, add colorful descriptions on the course page or in book resources, or even add an audio label under one of your topics explaining, for example, the weekly assignments. Students can use it in their forum posts and assignments as well when enabled by the instructor, which provides excellent opportunities in language courses. We do want to mention that you should keep in mind that Poodle recordings should be kept to 15 minutes or less. Yeah, and some people may be overwhelmed by the idea of learning a new tech tool or getting started with producing audio content. And I've been doing the audio production for our podcast and have some suggested tools for people to get started. We've talked about mobile devices, and there's a lot of note-taking and voice recording opportunities there on iPhone, Android phones, tablets as well. But there's also free programs like Audacity that are for audio editing and can create MP3s for you as well. If you're a Mac user, you can still use Audacity, but your Mac is going to come with GarageBand built into it. And I've used GarageBand for recording uh, plenty of audio in the past. And as Kate mentioned, Poodle is a great tool, especially since it's built right into Moodle. It's great for shorter form responses. I like to use it for providing feedback on uh, written assignments or forum posts, and students, conversely, as Kate said, can use it for forum submissions or for uh, assignments as well. So you can reach out to our instructional design team at idteam at oakland.edu if you need suggestions on how to use Poodle or any of this, uh, the tools we've discussed in your online and face-to-face courses. We'd like to thank Christina for joining us today. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. We value your feedback and your ratings and reviews will help others discover our show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Inclusive Online and Instagram at Inclusive Online Pod. If you'd like to get in touch with us with your ideas, feedback, or requests to collaborate, you can send us an email at inclusiveonlinepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to take a look at all of our resources for today's episode linked in the show notes. Please note that we are not endorsing or sponsoring any of the products and tools that we discussed in our show today. We are simply sharing our experiences with these tools, and we do not receive any compensation for mentioning these products. Special thanks to our production assistant, Kayla Yuka. We'll be back next month with our next episode. Until then, we hope you feel included.